community. Inspire Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is the Keep It Real show with Gabby and Ria. And who do we have in today? We have Laurie and Laurie Drage. Good morning, Laurie. Thank you so much for coming in today. Laurie is a retired war veteran and he's a, a man. I've just been speaking to him off air and, oh, my goodness, some of the things that you have been getting up to in the communities and what you're doing in recognition for the soldiers. And, yeah, just really, really heartwarming and... Firstly, I think, like we said before, thank you so much for all your work you've done in the service and and for everything. It's Mm. just amazing. And we would obviously like to put out a trigger warning for anyone who's listening who might have experienced some sort of trauma related to war or being in the services. Um, This interview might trigger you, so it might be a good time if you want to switch off to switch off. Otherwise, if you're not worried about that please do keep on listening and if you want to send your questions through please comment on our post on our keep it real page that's right so tell us a little bit laurie about where you've actually served and how how did you get in obviously you were forced to be enlist uh how old were you when you served um i got conscripted well to the point where um i was just 18 going on 19 Mm. and by the time i was 19 i always i was conscripted um, they uh, wouldn't take me in as a soldier because of my uh, medical background that I'd had working with my father in the ambulance service. And um, they put me through as a medic, so I went to Vietnam as a medic. Mm. And could you tell us a little bit about what that was like for a young man being forced to go over into a war zone and obviously try and help heal people well um when i when we landed in a place um knew knew that it's called um i got off the uh, off the helicopter and thought to myself Holy shit <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't say that word on there though <laughs> that's okay Sorry. That's fine. But that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I could see it. Um, it was, uh, atmosphere was unique. It's, it's not an atmosphere you can feel outside of the, that situation. The atmosphere was totally either spaced. It's like you just don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, any second, any second... The Viet Cong could come out of nowhere, and you—you're just going to get attacked. That's it. That was it. We just didn't know. It was, everything was just. Everybody was on their toes. The atmosphere was always, you know, tense. Isn't the word? It's worse than tense. And, and did you see that on the faces of your friends that you had and made there? You must have all that joint feeling of getting off that helicopter to get into, an, yeah. into a foreign country. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It, it, it was. Um, before we even got there, they'd warned us and told us different things. It's 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 like telling a child that don't touch that because if you do, you're going to get burnt. So what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to mm. go and touch it and they realise they got burnt. It's a lesson learnt. But with us, we, got, we keep touching that fire, you know. We keep touching the same situation in Vietnam. It's the same. Every day is the same. You get up. You get dressed, you go to bivy, you go breakfast, you go to lunch, then you head out in the jungle or whatever you get told to do. 
And would I be correct in asking, would it be almost that every moment was like um, <clears throat> you're sort of living moment to moment and it's more trauma than anything? Well, I'd tell you now, if, if, if I had that chance, I would have not gone dead set. Um, in the barracks, wherever you, where we slept, we slept in, believe it or not, we didn't sleep in buildings because people think, oh, gee, you know, you, when you sleep in, check it out. We slept in tents, big mm. tents, you know, and there's a group of you all together. And when you get up, you get up. You've got to get up when you're told to. You've got to go and do what when you're told to because you you've got to listen to the orders of the people in charge. And when they say, look, you're going here, you're going there, even though you don't want to because you know what's going on, you have to go. Mm. And we, so obviously even like your diet and that wouldn't have been, it'd be whatever you shocking, get, you get. Yeah. Shocking, shocking. So what, what did that usually entail? What was the, the food? <laughs> well, everybody loves your three meat, your three, uh, your meat and three veg and all that sort of stuff. You know, we'd, we'd eat pretty normal you know, pretty normal food set up by the cooks and stuff over there. So it wasn't vastly different. It's just uh, it's a bit of a different taste because um, I know f only by rumour was the fact that they used to put a, um, a chemical in some of the foods so that would stop the soldiers from getting aroused sexually. Oh, wow. Um, but that was the rumour and um, as far as I... As far as I know, it is it is, it is a good rumour because not many of them did. Not, not many of them have ever got, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, especially because if you go out on a, on a um, if they send you out on patrol or something like that, you don't want people to have that feeling inside mm. their body. You just yeah. want them to do their soldiering. So. To concentrate. So, yeah. So yeah. we're going to come back after a song <clears throat> and talk more about this because I'm really interested to hear about how, you know, just, just a little bit more about how that impacted you um, going through that sort of situation. So we'll be right back after Heartlines. We're good for the daylines, we could jump the state lines. I don't always play nice, but I wanna feel your heart lines. I wanna feel your heart. Have you been let down by the ones before? Do you live too soon to know? Never fell in love, cause I just got loose, but not when it Good for the 
it is 9.48 and we have... Laurie Drage here and this is being a really, really great interview so far. And a great learning opportunity and, for us. Um, and as Rhea stated at the beginning, uh, we do want to uh, let our listeners know that there is going to be some of the things we're going to be talking about. It's going to maybe come across as a bit of a trigger. So if you are sensitive to things like this, um, we obviously encourage you to either switch off or we have, can also provide the numbers for Lifeline if required. But what 13, we're talking... 13, 14? Yes. yes, and what we're doing today is though is that we want to raise awareness and we want to keep it real, and that is part of what our show is is talking about things like this and also acknowledging the fact that there were so many men and women who served our country, and if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be living this wonderful lifestyle we are today. That's so. right. So we do we do, we are very thankful for that. But Laurie, you mentioned just before we went to a break about a rumor going around while you were serving in Vietnam that. The Defence Forces have been putting a chemical in the food to stop people getting aroused. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure what the chemical's name is. Um, I don't know. Some sounded like like bromide or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I can't. I've never researched it to find out. But I love researching things. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so because um, you need to form a detachment. You know, with the with the group you go out with, when they say, right, oh, you know, squad leaders and all that, get your troops ready, get your teams ready, and off you go out and do your jungle bit. Um, probably that's probably one of the reasons they use it too. So while you're out there, you're not, you know, just frustrated or whatever. I don't know. You're just focused. Yeah, on what you focused need to do. on what you. You have to be out there. It's scary. It is scary because like. Uh, the North Vietnamese were cunning, very cunning. You, you you couldn't see them; they just hide so well. So, and us trudging through jungle and even open fields and stuff, you, they're just there. You just don't know for some funny reason. Some of them have got the patience to sit and wait for hours and hours and hours, and just uh, wait for the enemy to come along, and that's us. And uh, that sounds so scary and it really sounds like in every area of your life, not only have you been forced into this position and sent over there, but there's a lot of control and a lot of lack of control for yourself. So you're in a situation where you're being fed things, you don't know what you're being fed. You're being told to do things and run around and you basically have to follow orders all day. And then on top of that, while you're out following your orders, trying to do your job, there's people hiding and, and sort of jumping out at you. What was it like to feel that lack of power in your own life while you were out? there honestly you know it's the the scare factor is like um yeah shocking it's bad um the very first time that i went out with uh, a patrol um we started getting shot at it wasn't actually couldn't even see the enemy but um, a lot of the soldiers just fired back in that direction because you wouldn't even know if you'd hit anybody or not, you know, but some do, some don't. And, of course, me, being the medic, um, I'm at the back. Mm. Always leave the medic at the back because the medic will be the first one shot if he's at the front. Yep, and they need you. Yeah. So was that, that, was that added pressure on you then? Oh, heck yeah. I, <laughs> it, it's, it's just, the feeling is just, hard to explain it's 
it's it's like losing your closest relative and then they coming back alive and then dying again straight after the fear factor and the loss and everything factor is just hitting you it gives you hearts and it, it just uh, it does it hurts it just it's there it really does hurt and you've got to actually overcome that because if you fall down in a blubbering mess you're no good to anybody and so we you were a medic mm. were you part of a squad of yeah. medics yep yep and so we were talking a little bit on during the break now you were saying that none of those other medics now are actually still with us yeah there was um 10 of us that came through from the uh, outset when we went to Nam, and out of all those 10 i'm the only one of, of that set left there are other there's lots of other medics out there, but it's a different uh, graduating group, as you might call it, mm. you know. And, um, yeah, so um, I went to a few, a few years ago, the my la- funeral of my last, of my mate Tommy. He's, um, he was the last medic. He's, uh, he had it all through him. He had the termites. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah. Couldn't do nothing for him, so he was terminal. Mm. So, yeah. And can I just ask you, Laurie, so obviously this has been a really scary and traumatising thing to go through, but is there any moments that during your time in Vietnam that you remember, you know, some sort of level of, um, I guess, happiness or, or a moment where you felt at, a bit at peace? Oh, yeah. Um, and could you tell us about those moments? Well, sometimes when you're back in camp, you get a bit bored, so you've got to do things you know so we do do things did you get a bit cheeky oh <laughs> cheeky is really isn't the word some of the things we did over there is uh we'd actually um sneak around and go over to the americans department and sort of nick stuff <laughs> what did you nick oh mostly beer yes <laughs> mostly beer this. and um yeah but you know it's uh, yeah you beer and you drink yourself to sleep that's mm. really what you do but you have a bit of fun and makes it you have a wrestling fun wrestling and uh, just you know listen to music and play darts any girls uh <laughs> not 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 where we were okay if if there was any girls or anything like that you'd have to go to a different area because they don't put them all in the same spot because mm. you can imagine what would go on mm. but um that, that that's another thing that I noticed too because of what they said about what was going in the food. I could see why uh, there was no girls. The boys didn't need them. They didn't have that. Uh, that didn't know, have that drive to. They yeah. didn't have that drive. They just wanted to party on, you know. So, Especially yeah. young men. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to go to a song and then we're going to come back and hear more about your cheeky times. For the community, Inspire Radio. And we are back and we have Laurie with us today, don't we, Gabby? Yes, we do. And we've been hearing some really interesting and very important um, facts and, and stories about what it was like being in Vietnam um, during during the wars and just, just what it was like to be conscripted. And one thing that I, we did learn, which I, th- I think is really funny and because I'm cheeky, is that um, Laurie's nickname was Med. And <laughs> what did Med mean? <laughs> very funny, yeah. Um, well... The girls, the nurses and people that were in, at the, worked at the hospitals over there for the wounded soldiers and that used to have to have their lady things. 
and um, they'd be in the storeroom and I used to go to the storeroom and ask the guy for a box of uh, ladies' meds, um, yeah, and take them out in the field with me. When I was a boy, my father taught me a lot of things about holes because down in the country on farms, people get shot, um, stabbed in the leg with wire or something like that. You've got to stop the bleeding somehow. Instead of wrapping a bandage around it, he used to coil up a little tiny bit of cotton and stick it in the hole, just like mm. like a lady's med. Yeah. And uh, while I was over there, I said, oh, crikey, that'd be great. I'll use them. So I used to go down and get them out of the store and take them with me. And so then you got the, the nickname of the ladies' sanitary items. Yes, I did. And that yeah. sort of followed you through. They called me Doc Med. And they still call you that now? Oh, some women. of the guys do, yeah. They still call me Med. Mm. Yeah, so it doesn't bother me any. But, yeah, it was, you know, it was a necessary evil to have them because sometimes when a soldier got wounded and um, instead of just throwing an emergency uh, patch what they call a trauma badge, a bandage right over the hole. Um, uh, used to stick a, a med in the hole that would block it from coming out of the body, but it might still be bleeding internally, but that's when they go back and get found whatever to do because you can't do it in the field. Um, sometimes if it um, if it's uh, like a big piece of shrapnel or something, you come along and it's there and you don't want to pull it out, what you do is you make a big donut out of... Anything you could find, stick that out, stick that around the around the item, and then wrap them up and send them off so that the item doesn't get touched. But so is that sort of like, um, you know, I've seen in some movies where people will get the bandages and they'll if there's a big wound, they'll cut off the blood supply to the wound by tying a, a knot at tourniquet. the top of it. Yeah, yeah. Tourniquets are a good thing, especially with snake bites, but not with bullet wounds and stuff like that. Um, so you sort of have to pack the wound. You really got to stop pack the wound. You really, yeah, it's it's a case of you got to pack that, keep it covered, and send them back for the for surgery, whatever for the doctor to look at because you're I'm only the medic, you know. I'll keep them alive as long as I can. And so this is sort of a triage system for you guys. So you've obviously got your the first point. You've got to figure out a way to to stop the mess. Yep. And then they get sent on. So you know to see the doctor, who then would obviously figure out, okay, what do we need to do from here? Yes, yes. Is uh, there a point after that as well? I, I, I never get to see them afterwards um, because they get sent wherever they get sent. Uh, you never see the same person. You know, like. Um, I got into a lot of trouble once. That's why I got the meds. Is um, I sent a wounded soldier back with a live round blocking the hole, oh. and I got in trouble for that because that's sending a live round into the hospital, which you shouldn't do. But we weren't told at that time about that. That's why I went and started with the meds to put in the holes. So, um, Laurie, you also were saying before that you've also been to Africa or served in Africa and you were involved with the United Nations there. Do you want to tell us a little bit how that came about? How did you get involved with that? Well, yeah, um, a lot of vets are going to really uh, connect with this. Uh, coming back home um, wasn't a pleasant, pleasant arrival for any of us. Um, we got called a lot of names and all that sort of stuff and... And I went back to the farm to keep away from everybody and everything. And one of the surgeons that was in Vietnam came down to my farm and asked if I wouldn't mind joining him and his team on a, in the medical part of the United Nations Corps for Africa. And I said, not a problem. 
So I just want to reiterate, you've just said you've been forced to go down to help out in Vietnam as a medic. Mm. You've come home after being conscripted mm. and being traumatized. And then you've been, you've been spat on and ostracized. And then you've had to s segregate yourself from society. Yeah. And how did that feel? You can't explain that feeling. I'm sorry. You can't explain it. I just it. think that that's absolutely disrespectful. Mm. You, and you, I apologise on behalf of people and their ridiculous opinions at that point in time that you had to experience that. So moving on from that, did you end up joining this friend and his yeah, team? Yeah, he did. He, he, he authorised it all, had it already planned before he even got here to see me. He's a cheeky bugger. And, um, yeah, so anyway, he said, all right, come on, join the team. So um, I had to fly all the way up. 26 hours it took us to get to New York. So I went to New York and that's I was there for five weeks in New York getting um, information and doing courses and classes about, you know, how the teams work together, what you do, because there's a lot involved. And then you get on an aeroplane and go to Africa and get sent wherever you get sent. And Africa, you were saying during the break, was actually one of the most... The one that's probably sitting the hardest with you? Yeah. Um, I had a breakdown not long after. In 1978, I had the breakdown. And that was because I was in Rwanda during the genocide. Mm. And um, that was hard. It was hard being a medic in there, fine, trying to save lives as best we can with whatever we had. Um and it was not a very pretty sight. Um, I came back home. I did another tour after that as well. And uh, just after that second tour was one when they uh, made me uh, have a sort of mental breakdown. So. But, but so from there, you did actually go and do a bit of travelling though. Yeah, you were saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had to break away. I had yep. to break away. I so, had uh, the only thing I had to do is I headed off to China. So what we might do is we might just go to a song and Come then we'll back. hear all about what you did when you had that break. Okay, so we've got some men down under. For the community, Inspire Radio. That was Man Down Under. So, Laurie, we were just having a chat about your time in Africa and you were saying that you have been involved with the UN as a medic and you've had to assist with refugees and, and sorting them as they're coming through. Could you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Oh, it, it was it was a bit hard sometimes because when you see them come through, especially children, children was the worst. You know, I hated seeing children because um, children took my heart away because they're innocent, you know, and they're the ones caught up in this stuff and, you know, yeah, I could go out the back and have a cry, but you had to harden yourself up a bit, you know, not to worry about the kids. The adults were quite easy because um, you'd put them into their categories of urgency by giving them, put, give them a colour, you know, red for urgent, blue for semi-urgent, yellow for non-urgent, and black if you have a disease, so that'd go the disease control section and then they'd sort their parameter section out of what they've got with their own system. Have you ever struggled to remember those colours? Not really. It just works out, uh, you know, red, blue, yellow. It's always been there, you know, mm. always that, you know. I've, I've had that. 
So some of the things that we're going to go from there is you actually got to go, then decide to go and do a bit of travelling. I think you said after six months, was oh, it? Oh, yeah. You, you get oh, to go yeah. and do. Yeah, so get you, the hell out of there. I was going to say, and one of the things you actually said you did, you, you said you went to China. Yeah. You said you also got to climb Mount Everest. Yeah, I went through to Tibet and places like that and then uh, went up in the – I wanted to see how far I could get up the mountain. I said, oh, so I said, oh, climb Everest, you know, it'll be the best thing ever. And I said, yeah, right. I, you know, I didn't really worry about it. But when it came to us, I said, I'll be going to do it, you know. But um, by the time I started and got to base camp of Mount Everest, I said, I'm going home. Mm. And it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, um, yeah, and um, hard to breathe because uh, the air starts getting you pretty thin and... Uh, and I thought, no, these guys that are climbing the mountain, I said, you know, they, they can have it. I've, I got to base camp and, you know, that's my achievement for that bit. <laughs> so that's part of my little away from, away from work. So. And just off the back of that, getting to base camp, speaking of that, you were telling me about some lovely nurses you met. <laughs> where, where were they all from? Well, the different nurses that you well, used you know, to be friends with. Well, you have teams over there. You see, and sometimes you know you socialise. <laughs> that, yeah, that's very the word social. You want to say. Yeah, socialise. You got to socialise. Relieve the stress of it. It does. It does. It takes mm. away the stress that you've got by um, sitting down, having a chat and a drink, and um, you know, like you know, Swedish and. Some of the French nurses were very nice. Um, <laughs> some of the oh, we we oh, uh, some of the um, um, uh, nurses are all different parts of the world. They come from some from America, Austria, Sweden, Japan. And was there any particular nurse that you can still no, remember? No. <laughs> I'm needing. I want. I want one of these like old school, you know, war love stories over here. No, there's no love stories. It's just Aww. like you know. Wow, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember her? No. No. <laughs> so you've come back home. Yeah. And you're now. You've. I, I've got your business card here. You've started the old restorations. So you restore treasured heirlooms that have been passed down to family members for prosperity and obviously antiques, yep. and then we were talking a little bit about some of the statues that you are building for the memorials, and these are all things now that you're involved in in the community, and I'd love to know more about it. What else are you getting up to? Well, um, a few years ago, um, the memorial gardens of the totally partially disabled veterans looked a bit blank, and um, so I thought, wow, I said, this is going to be good. I've got to make something for that. So I sat down and just went through my mind and said, got it. I know what I'm going to build. So what I did, and it sits in their memorial gardens right at the front of the TPDVWA, is a six-metre two-man torpedo submarine. Wow. A full-size replica. And, um, yeah, I've even got the original British comic, or original war comic that has the, it's called the Frogman, and has the two-man torpedo submarine on it. And, um, yeah, so um, I've got that as well. And uh, um, out the front of the same place, I built two 1.8-metre harpoon missile replicas. Wow. So they're sitting up there at the entrance. Um, I built a cannon because sometimes when they have a function up there and they have to celebrate the function and show a sign of respect to past veterans, 
um, I built them a little cannon to fire up there as well. That's amazing. I love that. And yeah. But what do you do in your free time as well for um, yourself? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. No, you were saying that you like to keep busy and yeah. that's what's helped you. I so have to. If I don't keep busy, I'm going to fall into a blubbering heap and probably do something I don't want to do. Do you mm. look like the kind of man that would have fun on a Harley? Am I wrong? No, you're very wrong. <laughs> I'm very wrong. I'm not a Harley I person. Think you're, oh. I think you're just a man that likes to use your hands and you I know, think you're somebody you, that likes to build things. No, I, I'm a Norton Commando man. Okay. <laughs> Norton Commandos are the meanest bikes for me. It's the only ones I like. I <laughs> you're going to have to send me a photo so I can pop that up on our page because I'm a motorbike kind of girl. I don't have my licence yet, but no. I love I love motorbike riding. Oh, I love riding. I love the Norton Commandos. Very fast, beautiful on the road. Uh, not thumpy and egotistical like a Harley. So you're in the process at the moment of making something. Yes, I um, am. Are we allowed to? Yes. If we... Yep, so the faceless soldier. The faceless soldier. I'm building a sculpture, the faceless soldier, in regard that is going to be in a sitting position and um, it's going to be of a uh, homeless veteran, okay, and um, it's going to be... Uh, Totally, uh, well, it's made out of every bit of scrap metal that you could think of. No matter what it was, it's going to be fitting in there somewhere. And where is he going? Um, I believe he's going to be put up at the TPDVWA on a on a stone or something like that. And, um, yeah. yeah. We'd love to be there for the unveiling of that. Well, you're quite welcome. Mm. Um, you'll have to see Owen about it. Yes. Uh, um, Owen is the uh, man's idea come to me he says he wanted to do this and we went out and saw professional sculptors and that and they wanted a hundred thousand dollars just to uh, build a sitting down bronze statue of mm. a homeless man but uh, all the castings and stuff like that is just it was a waste of time and um, because I've I've built tons and tons of things in steel and um, I've doing this statue in a sitting position. At the moment, he weighs 60 kilos already of steel. Mm. Uh, so much bits and pieces going on. Um, just the other day, I started working on the hands, making so, the hands for it. So is this something that you, it's something you do every day? You're, you're putting a little bit of time in every day or just? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I, I don't stay on the one project because I, as I do restorations, I do a little bit and I put it away, do another bit. Otherwise, if I keep on the same project all the time, um, you get complacent with it. Yeah, you don't want it to be, I suppose, I'm a little bit like that. You don't. You think that if you're spending too much time on it, you tend to get a bit over, sloppy, yeah, maybe. that's correct. Yeah, because yeah. you're like, I just want to get this done now. I'm not yeah. enjoying doing this anymore yeah. and I just want to get this done. Whereas if you're going back to it, you've had a chance to go home or go and have a break, have a think about it, yeah. come back to it, revisit it and do it that way. Yeah, that's mm. how I do it. Yeah, yep, exactly. I'm exactly the same. I'm so, somebody that can't focus completely on something yeah. for hours on it. Otherwise, I'm just like, oh, no, I'm yeah. getting sloppy now. Time I, I totally understand how that is. I'm, I'm very much the same. So I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on to our show and having this chat with us today. Yes. And thank you for what you're doing for the veterans. Thank you for making these amazing sculptures for us to be able to use to remember and celebrate well, anybody, veterans. Anybody can come uh, up to the TPDV, which is on Old Mandurah Road. TPDV. WA, the Totally Partially Disabled Veterans. The, the address is number 1677 Mandurah Road, Beldivis, um, up there. And we have the submarine is out in the front, Memorial Gardens. Um, as you drive in, 
Uh, on the right-hand side, you'll see two harpoon missiles near the little man statue and the flags. And uh, then you can sort of go up to the clubhouse and go through and have a look at the, the museum we've started up there. I don't even know that was around this area. So what we'll do is we'll get some information from you and we'll put a post up on our page and we can share that around with the local community so that people can go out there and have a look at that. By all means, yeah, because we, we've got a nice museum too. And, and we'll pop your you, card up there exactly, as well. because I, you seem to like to keep busy. So we want to make sure that we let everybody know that Lawrence is a, he's a head restorer. So you do all yep, these things. Yep. So that if anybody has any antiques out there or anything like that, they, are they looking need to restoring, get, we, can, restoring yes. we can pop this up on the page I, I for you. I don't restore things for people to sell on because sometimes the thing they bring in um, is not going to be get your money back if it's been restored mm. because... Uh, it's only be you only restore family heirlooms to pass down. You don't yeah. restore mm -hmm. them to sell on. No, that's understandable. So we have a song for you. Yep. I'm going to pop that on for you right now and thank you so much for coming on today. No worries at all. For the community, Inspire Radio.